Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Celebrating Joy podcast. I'm Mary Turner, and today I have a great friend of mine. Her name is Kimberly Stewart. She's an author, writer, and a mom and a coach, and I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you. Oh, it's my total joy to be here. Thank you for having me, Mary. Oh my goodness. Of course. Can you just tell the audience just a little bit about yourself, kind of what you do, what you have experience doing and just kind of all around where you're at right now? Sure. So my, my job, I guess that pays me money is as you said, writing and podcasting, and I'm a writer coach and I do some speaking and that's been my gig for about 17 years. So I've written eight books that are out there. And then I have another one coming out in 2024. Um, and we can talk about how that all came to be if you'd like, but then my other real job that does not pay me money, but is absolutely a billion times more valuable is that I'm a mom of three. We have my husband, Mark, and I have been married for 23 years, almost 24. And we have someone, Anna is in college, Mitch is in high school and Thea is in junior high. So we have every version of every emotional swing on every single 24 hour period. (laughs) Love it. Love it. So you touched on writing your book that's coming out in 2024. And I know you've written about like eight books. Is that correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's well, crazy. nine. There's one that's buried wow. under a tree in my backyard, but, but you will never see that. No human being will. Eight <laughs> that have barcodes. Yes. <laughs> wow. Can you tell us a little about what got you to that point to wanting to write and kind of where this next book is? Yes. So I did not take a very, um, I took a little bit of a circuitous route to writing. So I majored in college and in grad school, I studied um, teaching. So I was an, I was a teacher. So I, my degrees are in Spanish and um, English as a second language teaching. And so I did undergrad for that and grad school for that. And I loved it. I taught seven through 12. I, um, both ELL students and then also Spanish, um, language learners. And so I loved it. I loved that job. It was a great fit for me, but I'd always, always wanted to write. I think writing to me sounded a little nutty pants. I mean, it sounded like just outlandish, right? Like it'd be someone saying, also, I want to be Taylor Swift. I just (laughs) didn't know anyone doing that. It just didn't. I think now folks have other, have friends who have, you know, self-published or have been in the publishing world. And I did not know anyone. And so that was a very quiet dream. Um, and when I started staying home with Anna, who's now, um, she's the college student. I went from being around people all the time to just being with Anna and Anna was lovely, but she did not speak. And so when Mark would come home from, um, he was in grad school at the time as well, I would attack him with questions and say, tell me all the long words you heard today. (laughs) Tell me all of the words that didn't end with E like blinky and poopy and potty. (laughs) And he was the one who said, you are alarming me because you are not the woman I married and you're scary in your insistence. And so maybe you need to do something, um, that will feed that part of your head that you kind of have, Mm. have put aside a little bit. I was completely, totally, utterly convinced that I was in the right spot. I loved being a mom at home. Um, And I also wanted something else, turns out. I didn't know that at the time, but I lugged out this ancient laptop and started just plunking away during nap time and during what soon was preschool time and and kindergarten time. And just anytime there was quiet in the house, I ignored the laundry. I ignored all the other things that really were emergency status. And that quickly turned into something that I loved. And it was just such a wonderful, 
I would say escape, but also just kind of, it felt like something that I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, there, it was a fun adventure. I, there was no map. There was no roadmap. I had absolutely yep. no idea what I was doing. It just ended up that I started meeting the right people to, to help me get my words out there. Yeah. I love that. I feel like that's kind of how it was with me. I just kind of had no idea. And then one day I was finally like, okay, I need to do this and just sit down and write. And it is very difficult sometimes and hard. And so I kind of want to ask you, how do you find and stay motivated when those times where you're just like stuck or you're just kind of in a season of a funk, or you're also just like walking through hard stuff and you're trying to write a book about joy or like something where you're trying to give the audience a piece of hope. I'd say the first thing is never to feel like you have to put pretty bows on things. I think that's the worst. That's the, that's the worst kind of writing you can do when you feel like you have to either know something you don't or pretend you have come to some sort of resolution you have not received. That will come across as um, very insincere to the reader. So the first thing would just be to be super honest. Some of the things we write during hard seasons or about hard seasons are really for us, just for us. And they might not see um, any other any other folks. But some of those things will end up being the most powerful, even when you're in a funk, if you can kind of encourage yourself to get your tush in the chair and just write a couple paragraphs if writing is your thing or create something small of creating an object is your thing or artwork or um, music. I think if you're if you look at that as a discipline and not as something that always is going to feel awesome, you actually will end up creating really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think the, I think when I got into this, I assumed it was a muse situation, right? So that if you could just wait until the time when the muse would hit and you know, those moments when you're just, your fingers are flying and everything's going well and it's clicking that, that I thought that's how a book is written. And actually 90% of the time, I don't feel that way. of the time, it really is just putting myself physically in front of the keyboard and um, asking myself to do the hard work. It's just like anything else you care about, right? If you watch the Olympics, those people don't, and they, most of the time they're not like, that was the most amazing day of training. (laughs) I want a protein bar. There are lots of really hard days that go into the final stretch. Um, So yeah, just the discipline of it. And then giving yourself tons of grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of folks that with whom I work and I, we have a mutual friend, Bob Goff, <laughs> you and I do Mary and our <laughs> Bob and I work together with a lot of authors. And I think sometimes their biggest impediment, their biggest speed bump is really their own brain, their own head, their own expectation that really they can set aside. We can set those things aside and wait for spots that are wider in the road. Um, just not forcing yourself all the time to feel like you have to have some sort of output or some sort of brilliance, those things will come. And, you know, looking back has become more important to me. I think there's some power in looking behind us and seeing there, there are ways that this will come out in the wash and me forcing it is not one of those ways. Mm -hmm. Mostly it's waiting and prayer and trust. Yeah, I so agree. I think I loved what you said about giving yourself grace. Um, just allowing yourself to really be okay if you're not doing well and you're writing in that stage. And 
doesn't mean that it's not going to be a good chapter or good format for anything, but really just giving yourself grace. And I think that goes for almost everything in our life that we know we're centers and we know we're going to fail. And so giving us grace and just allowing us to continue to move on and not hold on to that. Oh, I, what if this fails? Um, because we're going to fail. And Mm. I think it's just a good mindset and knowing, okay, I'm going to fail, but if this fails, that's okay. I'm going to keep going. And it's having that passion. And I think that was one of my biggest fears with writing my book. It's like, okay, what if this fails, but that's okay. If God had me write this for a reason and it failed and that was his reason, that's okay. But I know I wrote it for me and possibly when it gets out to the public, if it fails, then who knows, but I'm excited for that. Um, what was yeah, a of- couple of things there? If I could say a couple of things, yeah, a couple of yeah. things. First of all, I really feel like there's a lot of freedom in, um, treating ourselves the way we treat people we love. Mm-hmm. So when I get to spots where I'm starting to say things like that, like this is going to fail, or this is complete drivel. And what am I doing? I try to take a step back and think, well, how would I talk about this very moment with my daughter? or with my son, or with my mom, like people I really care about. If they said those things to me about themselves, I would put the smack down. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no question. I would say you're, you're talking crazy. That's not true about you at all. This is who you are. You are beloved. You are totally supported. You have everything you need. You can give yourself some serious grace in this moment. Mm -hmm. So if I talk to myself, the way that I talk to people, I love that calms a lot of the fire. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing I would say is that failure is kind of a slippery concept, right? I mean, what does it mean? to fail. I think if you write an entire book and get that thing in print, there's no failure there. Like that is just straight up success, no matter how you look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's true. That's a good like outlook. I think we define failure in our own way. Mm-hmm. And so to you, it's like into like the whole world, it's like, Oh, this is the way it goes. It's you're failing. And so I think it's kind of mm-hmm. us re re kind of forming our actual view of what failure is because the Lord doesn't look at you and he's like, Oh, you failed. I think he looks at you and says, I'm proud of you. You're my kid. Yeah. -hmm. Yeah, And that doesn't shift, right? The idea of success does. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I hang out with people who, you know, are super disappointed when they sell only 50,000 copies of their book. Mm -hmm. And I also hang out with people who, if they could sell 4,000, that would be the best day, right? So we are deciding these numbers. We're deciding this carrot that moves in front of our eyeballs. The actual root of who we are and how beloved we are, that does not shift. So if you're, if you're rooting yourself in that, then all the other stuff that happens, you know, you keep your nose down, work your tail off, but you have no control over the rest of it. You only have control over how you receive the grace and unfettered love of God. Yeah. I love that. So when you first started writing, was there a fear you had going into writing kind of on the same thing of failure? Were you scared of something happening when you first started? I was so clueless. I wasn't scared. I just (laughs) didn't know. I didn't even (laughs) know. what the option was. So, I mean, I submitted my first manuscript when 
um, I went to a writer's conference and just put the first few pages of my first novel across the table to an editor. And I was five months pregnant with my son. I had literally no expectations. I had no idea. And I did everything wrong. I didn't have the book done. I didn't have an agent, all the things you're supposed to have. I didn't have one of those, just a wing and a prayer. And I really liked good stories. And so, um, that I don't know that my expectations were high at that point. I will say the longer I was in the game, the expectations, you know, they grow with each release. Um, so yes, for sure. There's a, I remember one of the, I think it was probably my first book that came out. I called my friend Ginger, who's just a wonderful human being. And she had a few, I'd met her through this business and she had a few books already out. And I remember where I was sitting on my couch and I called her and said, Ginger, my my book comes out tomorrow. I, I'm not quite sure how to feel. And she said, oh, have you hyperventilated yet into a paper bag? <laughs> I said, no. She said, oh, I do it every release. So <laughs> she kind of normalized the anxiety about that, Yeah. Um, which was a gift to me because I thought, oh yeah, this is there there is some risk here of bearing your heart on pages. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I knew going in, but there've been plenty of bumps along the way where I've had to recalibrate and remember again, Oh, wait a minute. I am not my sales numbers. Mm-hmm. I am not my marketing plan. I am not, you know, whether or not every single Amazon review makes my, you know, hair stand up on the back of my head that I'm just so happy about it. So, you know, I've had to re reorient many times over the last couple of decades. I think that's pretty normal in any sort of pursuit. Yeah. I like that. And I like how when you first like released your book, you had just like no expectations. And I think that's honestly how throughout our lives, we should go through things almost. So you're not putting so much pressure on everything Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like living for each day. And then you're not so focused on everything else and more just like living as today is a gift and also Mm -hmm. living with just like a joyful attitude and just Mm -hmm. open hands almost, um, which I really do like, because it's really hard when you're focused on everything going on in your life that you just like, don't enjoy it. And so I think writing, it's like, you're not going to enjoy the process if you don't like sit there and be thankful for it while you're writing. That's the key. That's the key, right? If we're too busy thinking about, it's always navel gazing. Navel gazing obsession with ourselves will 10 times out of 10 rob any joy we have because we don't have enough, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have enough peace or love or patience or all the good stuff that we have in our lives. We cannot be the sole producer of those. And so if I'm thinking about myself constantly, how's my book doing? How's this effort? You know, what's the fruit of all of this? What's coming of all this? What's going to happen after this? moment or this week or this month or this release, that is totally fruitless. There, you Nothing good comes from that other than anxiety. <laughs> you just start thinking about your own darn self all the time. Yeah. So you talk a lot about joy, Mary, and that thinking too much about me 100% of the time takes joy out of my thoughts and my heart um, and the way that I live every single time. It is a recipe for disaster. The converse is what you just said. Mm-hmm. gratitude is the best kick in the pants, right? So instead yeah. of thinking, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right, turning that on its head to say, I can't believe I get to do this. This mm-hmm. is so amazing that I get to devote this time to something that I love. And that's that's giving me so much um, happiness or joy, or that has the 
potential to give other people that same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a total, it's a framework that switches everything on its head and puts it where it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's a complete perspective change Mm -hmm. when you live with the attitude of this is a gift. I'm going to be thankful for this. Whether that is like for me being college, going to school where it's like, oh, I don't like school, but it's, I can be thankful for and be present or when people work a nine to five job and it's like the same routine over and over again, but they're in that season. And I think God put them in that season for a reason and using that and changing their perspective of, oh, I go to work with these people and I can be a joy and glorify the Lord today. So it really is a perspective change and it takes time. I think for me to realize that. And some days it's like, oh, I blows over my head, mm-hmm. but the days where it's like, I am thinking that, okay, today is a gift, not a day is promised. I'm going to use it to glorify his name today. No question. And I would recommend saying those things out loud. There's Mm -hmm. something powerful about the sound of your own voice saying that out loud. Yeah. I'll give you an example. We have 8,000 dirty dishes in our house on a given day. And that that is an (laughs) underestimate. Um, But I, for many years, when Mark and I were first married, there was not one dishwasher in sight other than me and him. There was no, (laughs) like we didn't have, that was way too swanky for us. (laughs) So if I really try to make an effort out loud to say to myself, God, thank you for this dishwasher. I am so grateful for it. So when I'm rinsing dish number (laughs) 8,000, I hear my own voice saying, you've got a good honey, you've got it really good. Thank you for all the food that was on these plates. Mm -hmm. Thank you that I have not had to panic about feeding my family. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is not saccharine to me. That's not a blow by moment. That is absolutely real life. And so if I'm saying it out loud, it reminds my head and my heart, look at your, the, the road you have that is littered with the goodness of God, say it out loud. So your own ears and your own heart and head can hear it. Yeah, that's so true. And that's so good. So jumping back to kind of your writing process and everything, what has been like your favorite memory when writing? I know there's probably a lot, but what has been kind of Mm. a good experience or just your favorite memory? Wow. Favorite. (laughs) I mean, it's been a long time, nearly as long (laughs) as you've been alive, Mary. Um, I mean, if you come to mind, the first time my book came in the mail to our front step, there was a box of books um, and we opened them up at the kitchen island and we had two little ones at that point. And I remember, I remember Mark taking a copy out of the, of the box and kind of, and I was like holding one, I'm a total book nerd. So like to hold (laughs) it and like smell the pages, I was so excited, (laughs) but I was kind of stunned, you know, because these were all just thoughts in my head. And then they were on paper with a cool cover and back cover copy. And, and I remember Mark saying out loud to the kids, you guys, mommy wrote this book. This book is by your mom. (laughs) <laughs> and it was totally silent. You know, Mitch is like sucking his thumb and holding his blankie, sniffing his blankie <laughs> and Anna's just staring and they absolutely did not believe it and said, no, she didn't. 
because <laughs> they'd never seen it because I only wrote during nap time. So I remember yeah. Mark flipping the book and pointing to my face like on the cover and wow. saying, look, this is really your mom. <laughs> so that is a sweet memory for me, first of all, because our kids were so little and that adventure was beginning. And also Mark has just been the absolute cheerleader of cheerleaders. He just assumes I can do all the things. And so that was such a fun moment to share with him. I love that. You also get to do, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but you also get to coach and you, that's how you and I met. You coached me while writing my book. So yes, tell us just a little about what got you into coaching and kind of what you love about it. I am loving this season of coaching and yes, we've gotten to work on part of your book together, which <laughs> has been so much fun. Um, and you, you exemplify why it's so fun for me because I spent most of my writing life alone in, on my couch. I didn't even have a desk. I just would, you know, punch out a couple of pages whenever I could. Um, and that's how I would cobble together book by book. And a lot of the things about a writing career are not Googleable. You cannot just do a search and find out how to get an agent or how to write a great paragraph or how to, you know, construct a book that has a beginning, middle and end and an, an arc that really engages the reader. You just have to figure that out. I always felt like I was fumbling in the dark, just doing my best, hoping I would meet the right person who would answer a question. What is a literary agent? How am I supposed to find one? What's the difference between traditional and self-publishing? Like all that stuff. You can't, you can only go so far with the internet. You really yeah. need um, people around you. And so for me to be one of those people is so fun for me. It just trips every trigger for me because I didn't have that. And it's so fun to be that person. Um, as for how I got into it, that would be Bob Goff. <laughs> so um, if y'all are familiar with him, he's a force of nature. And so uh, it was his idea. And he was so kind to bring me on. He does a, quite a bit of executive coaching on his own. And he was finding that a lot of clients really wanted to write books. And so um, Bob called and said, I think we can do this together. And I think it'd be really fun. And it has been, it has just been a total hoot. And he is the most fun person with whom to work because yeah. you never know. It's an adventure every day. <laughs> um, I just actually talked with him earlier today. We had a, a welcome call with a new client and he called from an air force base <laughs> where he was going to watch a U2 spy plane land. Wow. So, uh, yep. Just yeah. blew right up there. Took care of that. Uh, it has been so much fun, but I love that. That is right. My alley. So mm -hmm. bring it on. He's, mm -hmm. he's just a great guy. So working with someone that I so admire, just dearly love as a friend has been super fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Working with y'all was literally, it's been so fun and oh, good. like you were saying, writing can be super lonely. And so mm -hmm. having people who understand and who get it and who also are in your corner, just like cheering you on is truly the best thing ever. I just recently found a few other people at Baylor who are writing books too. Good. And that was just an awesome connection to have and to be able to yes. sit down and kind of talk through where we're at and kind of how we can encourage each other and support each other. Because if you haven't written a book, you don't really get it. It's really, it is hard and it's, you get mm -hmm. stuck and you get lost in your words. And so it really has been fun working with y'all and just like seeing what y'all are so passionate and excited about mm -hmm. makes me just like even more excited to just keep writing. Well, you are officially our youngest client. <laughs> and uh, we were talking before we had the mics on about how you have blown out 
of the water every expectation of normal human beings. At your age, you've already um, owned your own apparel company. You're only a junior in college. The last time I talked with you, you were like organizing or participating in something with homecoming that required you to be up at all hours of the night and also had a call with me about pages you've written. So I'm just saying uh, for our listeners, She's not typical. I wouldn't say that most people <laughs> her age have conquered the world, um, but it has been so much fun, so much fun to work with you, Bob. And I have both just loved getting to know you and hear your heart and to see you just absolutely push through. Even as a camp counselor, you were <laughs> up at the late hours with your laptop pounding out those pages. So you should be, you should be interviewed about discipline because you've got it, honey. <laughs> Thank you. It's for sure. Like, I don't know, this stuff just makes me so excited. I'm like, what else can I do? But then I'm like, okay, calm down, Mary. You can't do everything. You need to calm down (laughs) one step by step. And my parents are always like, what are you not doing? And I'm like, it's fun to me. And I love being busy and I love getting to talk to people and write. And just, it's been really fun. Um, And it just like, it really does bring me joy just getting to do this stuff and like do it all for the Lord. So that's so great. I love it. So one last question I want to ask you is in this season of life, how are you celebrating joy? What are you seeing joy in? Hmm. Well, I'm kind of coming out of, or, um, I don't even know if we're coming out of it. We've had quite a bit of loss Mm -hmm. and grief in our family in the last year. Um, most of it kind of adjacent loss. So people we care so deeply about, um, their children and their parents and their siblings, um, their spouses. So we've just had a, we just had a season of death in our home. Mm -hmm. And so joy has taken on, it's, I feel like it's just shifted in the, the, the light has shifted a little bit as I've, um, held that prism up and it's a more profound joy. I would say, because it's a little bit nonsensical in the world, right? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, when, when scripture talks about hoping not as the world hopes, that makes sense in a different way to me right now that, um, you know, does joy persisting in moments where it doesn't feel like things are going right. Mm-hmm. And yet there is this undercurrent of joy. It's just a remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been paying attention more, I think, to folks who write about that and write about grief, write about loss. Um, I had a wonderful conversation recently with a woman named Amanda Held Opelt, and she lost her sister several years ago and some children in miscarriage and her grandmother, all in a really compressed period of time. And she has studied different rituals of grief in different cultures. Um, and she taught me a lot about, you know, this, this drumbeat in the gospels of, you know, Jesus led a life of a lot of loss and a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. And we try to clean that up and pretend it was like a Disney parade and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that's not something scary to me. That is such a joy to me, a real joy, because I know he gets it. And that he enters into that. He doesn't wait for me to like clean up and do my hair. You know, he really, he's right there with me in all of those moments. And the thing he offers is this ridiculous, stubborn joy that will outlast um, all of the other things. And so I would say that what's giving me joy is this kind of 
um, yeah, nonsensical hope, hope that doesn't really make sense. Um, unless you've walked with Jesus for a second and seen how he really offers something so much better. Cause if I'm looking around me for things to give me joy, the things are always lackluster. I just, they never, they can't live up and the people too, people can't do that for me. Um, Mm -hmm. only God can. And so that's probably what I'm thinking about most right now and learning about right now. Wow. I love that a lot. That's really, really good. And really, really true to know that like joy isn't always in the seasons of where everything's going so well, but it's also in the moments where it's hard and like you can find that hope that is in the Lord. And it, sometimes it's really hard to seek and find, but you can find it because he's there. Mm. So I really like that. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much, Kim, for just coming on and just supporting me and just being so eager to help me in anything. It's been a joy getting to talk with you and just to talk about life and kind of where your journey all started. So thank you once again. Well, you know, I am your mega fan. (laughs) So as soon as you have that book signing, when it comes out, you know who your number one heckler will be. I'll be in the front row. Super proud of you and honored to know you. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone to listening once again. This is the Celebrating Joy podcast and I will see y'all next time.